We're in a series called Knowing the Faith of Our Fathers, and we've been taking a look at some historical tools like catechism and confession and creeds. And we've been looking at these tools because I want you to know that, that what we teach here doesn't, in, the, in essence, start with ourselves. No, it's been passed on to us from one generation to the next. We are building our lives on a foundation of truths that have come before us. The, the truths about Jesus, the truth about the Father, the truths about the Holy Spirit, the truths about the Bible. And I know in a series like this, it is easy to think, but Pastor George, that's not where I'm at right now. I mean, I, I've got these financial issues. I've got, these, I've got this career or job issues going on. I've got some relational issues that need to be addressed. Pastor George, I need a sermon on how to get through those things. And what I want to say to that is this. We need them both. We need a message about our faith. And we also need messages about our needs. It is like the foundation and the walls of a house you need them both. You want a good foundation, but you also want well-built walls. You want a good foundation with some of the tremors and little earthquakes that are going on around here due to uh, fracking, okay? You need a good foundation, and you need some well-built walls. In fact, I would say this, you're not going to have well-built walls unless you do have a foundation. In the very same way, there are days in all of our lives when we feel no one loves me, no one cares, and it is an earth-shaking time in our lives, and it's at that time you need to know the foundations of the truth, that God loves you, and that not only does he love you, he likes you. And as we have been studying the Trinity and who God is, it is a reminder to us of those fundamental truths, that God loves us, and not only that, he likes us. So in these last few weeks, we've taken a look at the Apostles' Creed, the humanity of Jesus. We have taken a look at the Nicene Creed, the deity of Jesus. Last week, we took a look at the Westminster Confession and Catechism, the, the fact that we need to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that is because God doesn't want you and I to have a shack without a foundation. He wants us to be strong in our faith. Now this week, we're going to take a look at our faith and message statement. It is not a creed. It is a statement of faith based on Scripture. Let me read this. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union, and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. 
All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. Now, as you look at that statement of faith, it answers the question why at LifePoint Church we don't have a creed. And it's not like creeds are wrong, but we don't have to have one because the statement of faith says that the Bible is the supreme standard by which we measure and judge our lives. And so as a result, we trust the Bible and God's spirit that he has placed in us to guide us to truth. And so today, as we come to the close of this series, we're going to focus on the Bible. Take a look at Psalms 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord holds true, and everything he does is worthy of our trust. Will you circle two words? Circle the word true and trust. If it's true, it can be trusted. Now, if you have had any doubts about the truth of the Bible today, guess what? Today's your day. If you've ever said to yourself, you know what, I need to read more of the Bible, guess what? Today is your day. If you've ever thought, you know, I read the Bible and I really don't understand what it means, today is your day. How do we know that the Bible is worthy of our trust? Well, there are three key words, revelation, inspiration, and illumination. First, there is revelation, and that simply means that God is showing himself to us. God wants to be known, and he wants us to know the passions that he has for us. Take a look at Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 23. And so I will show my greatness and my holiness, and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. God wants to make himself known. He wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know the passions that he has for us. And so what God did is that he decided to write a book. It's called the Bible. And if you want to think of it like this, you can think of it as a romance novel where God says, I want you to know me and I want you to know how much I'm in love with you. Just like if you were to sit down and write a love letter to somebody that you wanted to reveal yourself to, you would say, hey, this is what I'm like. I mean, I'm a hunk of hunk of burning love, right? And I've got these warm feelings for you. In the same way, the Bible is a romance novel of to you and to me. And it is where God decides in and of himself, I want you to know me. I want you to know my greatness. I want you to know my holiness. I want you to know my grace. I want you to know my, 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 my mercy. I want you to know my passion. I want you to know my heart, my love for you. I want you to know my glory. And so he wrote the Bible to us. It is God's revelation of himself. Now there is an urban legend out there 
that says something like this. Okay, Pastor George, I'll give you the fact that maybe this Bible is God's romance novel for us. But hasn't it been translated and watered down from one generation to the next generation, from one language to the next language, as it's been passed down from one generation to the next generation and from one language to the next language? Isn't that how it happened? No, not at all. This idea that the Bible got written and then got translated from Greek and then to Latin and then to French and then to Spanish and finally to English, and that's how we got it today, is not true. The truth is, when translators translate the Bible, they go back to the original manuscripts and to the original language of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic to translate it. And when they go back, guess what? It's not just one person doing it. It's literally hundreds of people. Hundreds of people get together and they read it together and they agree together on what it is saying. And that is why you and I can trust what the Bible says 100%. Revelation, God showing himself or revealing himself to us, who he is and the passions that he has. Well, how in the world, Pastor George, did he do this? Well, he did it through the second word, inspiration. God inspired people to write this book Now, this is one of my favorite verses. Take a look at 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. I absolutely love this verse because this verse is what I refer to as a life development verse. We are a life development church. And we want to develop lives to their fullest. And that is why I am a life development pastor. What I teach on Sunday, guess what? You can use it on Monday. It is applicable to your life. Now, why this verse is so important is because of the word inspired. Will you circle that word? What does inspired mean? Well, to understand what inspired means, you need to know the difference between inspiring and inspired. There is a huge difference. There are a lot of things that inspire me. My wife inspires me. When I had a dog, that dog inspired me. Not in the same way that my wife inspired me. Don't don't misunderstand me. Movies inspire me. Especially Hallmark movies. They they inspire me, okay? Going on vacation inspires me. But inspiring is not the same as inspired. In the Greek, inspired means God breathed. God breathed his perfect word into existence. How did he do that, Pastor George? Through people. He did it through people's personalities. He worked through a guy named Moses who had the spirit of gentleness. 
He worked through a guy named Isaiah who had an optimistic spirit. He worked through a guy named Paul. Have you ever heard of that guy who had a fiery spirit? God breathed through people to create this perfect word that you and I can read. A romance novel. Now, sermons are expiring, are inspiring. Are they not here at LifePoint Church? You, you don't get any boring sermons here, right? Okay. Sermons can be inspiring. No if, ands, buts about it. But it's only God's word that's inspired. And if a sermon is any good, it will help you to notice Scripture. And it will also develop your life. That's how you know when you have a good sermon. Now, a lot of times I get asked, Pastor George, you say the Bible is inspired and others say their book is inspired. Who is to say that one book is inspired and another isn't? That's a great question. That really is a great question. The question behind that question is this, is there any objective evidence or proof of the reliability of the Bible? And the answer is yes. There are four different types of proof. There is internal evidence, there is external evidence, there is personal evidence, and then there is final evidence. And yes, it is true that I accept the Bible as by faith as God's word. But I do so not based on some wild belief, on some unreasonable evidence. No, I place my faith and that's what we're talking about in this series. I place my faith in the Bible because there is reasonable evidence. And one of those is internal evidence. When you look at the Bible, the internal evidence says that it is a strong historical argument. Why? Because the pri it was primarily written by eyewitnesses. Not second-hand accounts, through eyewitness accounts. Moses saw the Red Sea split. Joshua saw the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. The disciples saw Jesus resurrected. These are first-hand eyewitness accounts, not second-hand. Another form of internal evidence of its reliability is the fact that it was written over a 1,300-year spanned on three different continents uh, by 40 different authors who came who had different careers and came from different places and yet with all this diversity it speaks in agreement to one story God's salvation of man through Jesus Christ now in our small group the one that I've been in for I don't know 17 years we are going through a, a small group study by Max Licato and Randy Frazier called The Story. And it's about this thread that goes all the way from Genesis through Revelation. If you're in a small group, I would encourage you to get that study. It is just phenomenal. 
Because God's word, yes, it's diverse, written by a lot of different people over a great span of time, but it agrees on God's salvation of man through Jesus Christ. Folks, nobody could have done that over 1,300 plus years. And so there is internal evidence, but then there is external evidence that shows us its reliability. The Bible talks about places where people lived. And guess what? Those places are there. Archaeology has come along and has proven the reliability of the historicity of the Bible. Years ago, back in the 1900s, the Bible talked about Hittites, and everyone says they didn't exist. It's just a myth, mythological type of people. But then came an archaeologist or a group of archaeologists, and they discovered 10,000 clay pots, and then the city of the Hittites. People said Solomon never had 1,000 horses. That is absolutely impossible. Archaeology has come along and shown, yep, and he had hundreds and hundreds of stalls. Archaeology has come along and has proven the reliability of the Bible. Now, I hear people say, Pastor George, all the holy books of all the different places, they're all the same. That is not true. That is not true at all. The Bible, like I said, was written by 40 different authors on three different continents over about 50 generations, 1,300 plus years. The Koran was written by one author, and it disagrees at many places with history. The Bible has tens of thousands of manuscripts or copies to compare itself in translating the Bible. The Book of Mormon had supposedly one copy, which was seen by one man that all of a sudden was lost. There is a huge difference. The Bible is God's work in verifiable history. The Bible says that you can go to certain historical sites, and guess what? They're there. The Hindu scriptures are all about God's work in the celestial realm. In other words, it's not connected with what's going on in earth. Folks, a huge difference. And so there is internal evidence. There is external evidence. Then there is personal evidence. The personal evidence is what God has done in your life. What God has done through his word to change you. Why, have you ever thought of this, why is the Bible, even to this day, over thousands of years, why is the Bible the most popular book in history? Because it changes lives. Do you realize that it's been translated into 2,400 different languages? Why? Because it changes people's lives. I can remember different times in my own life as I was struggling maybe with some relational issue or grieving over a loss 
of some kind in my life or dealing with a crisis in, 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 in my family with one of my kids, how God spoke to me through his word about those things and changed my life. And what I get from God, eventually I pass on to you. There is internal evidence. There is external evidence. There is personal evidence of how God has used his word to change you. Then there is the last piece of evidence, and that is final evidence, which is Jesus himself. Jesus called the Bible God's word. And if Jesus called it God's word, guess what? That's good enough for me. Do you realize that Jesus taught out of the whole Bible? He quoted out of or referenced the whole Bible except for four books. Did you know that? That is why I believe the whole Bible. Now, sometimes you will hear people say, you know that story of Jonah and the whale? And I stop him. By the way, it wasn't a whale. It was just a big fish. Obviously, you haven't read the Bible, okay? But that story about Jonah and the big fish, you know, that is a great, that is a cool story. But it never happened. Jesus said it did. Well, the same with that, uh, that guy Noah with, you know, the boat and all those animals. I mean, that's that's impossible. That didn't happen. Jesus said it did. And so in one sense, folks, I don't need any more proof. Because if Jesus believed the whole Bible, well then guess what? That's good enough for me. The Bible is a trustworthy romance novel. But there's more. We've got revelation. We've got inspiration. But then, for you and me, we have illumination. And illumination is when the truth of the Bible is revealed personally to ourselves. When you're reading the Bible, maybe you've seen this in movies, you know. Someone's reading something, and then it seems as they do it through technology, the words come off the page and they glow. You've seen that in some movies? When you, illumination is when you read the Bible and it seems like the words are just coming off the page right in front of you and God is saying, this one is for you. Feels like God is speaking to you personally. What is happening? It's called illumination. It is him bringing to light his word for your life. Take a look at Psalms 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. My question to you is this. Is God's word making a difference in your life today? Is God bringing anything to light in your life from his word today? For my wife, her word for this past month is dwell. There are notes all over the place with verses on dwell. Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dwell, dwell, dwell. Why do I bring this up? Because God is always wanting to bring 
things to light in your life where you live in a culturally relevant way. He wants you to know him better, man. And he wants you to know how he feels about you so that you can grow and become like him. Well then, Pastor George, why is it then when I open the Bible, it does, there isn't something that is illuminated to me from it? Why doesn't the light always turn on when I read the Bible? That's a great question. It is because you must choose to do five things. The first one is this. You must love God's word deeply. It is true that illumination starts with God. God initiates everything. He is the great initiator, okay? If he didn't want to be known, guess what? We wouldn't know him. Illumination, no doubt, starts with God. But if I don't value it by picking it up and by searching out truth, guess what? I'm not, it's not going to happen in the way of illumination. Now think about this. This may be ancient history for some, but I will never forget going through college. There were books I had to read that I absolutely hated. How many can identify with that one, okay? I, gag me royal, okay? But I read them because I had to know the material. But soon as the semester break happened... I didn't pick up any of those books, I guarantee you. But I did pick up the ones that I really liked. And those that you pick up on your free time is an indication of what you love. Take a look at Psalms 119, verse 97. How I love your teachings. I think about them all day long. Folks, you and I usually don't think about something all day long unless we are infatuated with it or them, right? And so when I talk about loving God's word, I am not talking about loving the the leather-bound cover of it and the thin pages of the Bible. I am talking about the words that actually make a difference in your life. You see, how does that happen? How do you allow God's word to make a difference in your life whereby you just love it? That when you have a crisis in your marriage or with your finances or in some family situation, the first book that you go to is the Bible. I have people coming into my office all the time and they're sitting there telling me, and my mind's going boom, 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 here's verse, 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 like this. How do you and I value God's word like that so that it really makes a difference? Take a look at this verse out of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. How do you and I allow God's word to produce fruit in our life where we value it? By planting God's word of truth in your life. Let me ask you this. When a farmer plants corn, what does he get? What? Corn. When a a farmer plants watermelon seeds, what does he get? Watermelon. When a a farmer plants squash seeds, what does he get? When you and I plant perishable seeds, what do we get? 
perishable things. When we plant imperishable seed, what do we get? Imperishable things. One of the reasons why life is so hard is that we plant imperishable, we plant, I should say, or we expect imperishable things from perishable seed. And it doesn't work. We want imperishable joy, but we plant perishable seeds like going on vacations and buying a new car and going to see a movie. And then there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But it doesn't work, does it? We want deep fulfillment, but we only plant seeds that will advance our career. And it doesn't work, does it? We want lasting love, which we talked about two years ago. We want lasting hope, which we talked about last year. We want lasting faith, but it only comes through planting imperishable seed through the truth of God's word. And when you and I do that, by faith, we are going to see results. And our love for God's word will grow. The second choice is that I must spiritually understand God's word. Have you ever wondered why some people seem to get a lot out of God's word and other people don't get anything? Well, there's a number of reasons for that, but one of the reasons is that the Bible is meant to be spiritually understood, meaning that God's spirit speaks to our spirit. It is spiritually understood. Now, that doesn't at all mean that it can't be understood for historical information, okay? Or logically, it can, and it does. What it does mean is to understand the Bible spiritually is that you must have a relationship with the author because the author knows what it means, and he is the one that can help you talk about it. We went to a play, my wife and I, after the play was over by C.S. Lewis. The writer of the play came out and talked to the audience. What a great source to find out what he meant through this play of C.S. Lewis. You see, to understand the Bible, you've got to have a relationship with the author. And God says, when you begin that relationship with me through Christ, I am going to help you understand the Bible. Why? Because God makes himself available to you. He wants to be known. He wants you to know him better. He wants you to be like him. He wants you to know his passions. And so when you are reading something that you don't understand, you can say, God, I don't understand what this means. Can you help me out? And he will. Back in the 1940s, there were two great evangelists. One was from Canada, Charles Templeton. And the other one from America, both had a crisis of faith in their life about the authority of the Bible. Charles Templeton, the greater evangelist, concluded that the Bible could not be trusted. And he went from hope to hopelessness. And you can read his book that was written back in 2000. The other evangelist was Billy Graham. And he too had a crisis of faith about the authority of the Bible. 
And he went and secluded himself in the woods of California and got his Bible. And in essence, he prayed this prayer. You know, I've got doubts about a lot of things. I don't understand how planes fly, but I trust them. There's a lot of things that I don't understand about God's word, but today I'm gonna take it as the supreme authority for my life and everybody else. And his ministry exploded. It must be spiritually discerned. It's okay to have doubts. I have doubts. And doubts are okay because they are the springboard to growth as you come to God's authority, his word. You must love it deeply. It must be spiritually understood. The third choice is you've got to accurately handle God's word. Let me ask you this. Are these phrases in the Bible? There is no rest for the wicked. Yes, it is. Isaiah 48, verse 22. How about this one? God helps those who help themselves. Is that one in the Bible? No, it's not. Benjamin Franklin is credited for it, but he stole it from a politician in England called last name Sidney. Moderation in all things. Is that in the Bible? No, it's not. A drop in the bucket. Is that in the Bible? Yeah, it is. Isaiah 40, verse 15. This too shall pass. Is that in the Bible? No, it's not. It was written by a poet from Persia, Arat. This came to pass. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. An unexamined life is not worth living. Is that in the Bible? No, it's not. Socrates said that. You see, you and I have to know what is in God's romance novel. Take a look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Folks, it's easy for things to get twisted in our minds. So how do you keep, especially as you get older, how do you keep things straight? Let me give you three simple rules. You might write these down real fast. It's a whole message in and of itself. Understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. You re- I'd encourage you first to read the New Testament so you kind of know what's in there. Then read the Old Testament, okay? And read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. Second thing, always understand words in the context in which they were written. When Paul said, eat, drink, and be merry, He wasn't going out and saying, hey, go be a glutton and get drunk, okay? He was saying, hey, people who don't have much to do in life are going to waste their life through those things. Here's the last one. Understand historical passages in light of doctrinal passages. King David did a lot of good things and he did a lot of bad things. He also married a lot of women. you got to understand the context, the historical context in light of doctrinal context. The fourth choice is that I must personally study the Bible. And when I say that, I am not talking about Sunday morning. I think it is just terrific that some of you take those outlines, which 
I've written for you to take home, to review them. It's important. We forget 95% of what we've heard within 72 hours. But if we review it, we'll, memor- we'll, we'll understand and know more. But I'm not talking about Sunday mornings. If you are struggling with something in your life, you cannot wait until I teach on it some Sunday morning. You need to get into God's word yourself. He wants to personally feed you. Now understand something. When you begin to do personal Bible study, you will go through three phases. These are phases that I go through, okay? I call it the castor oil phase. I call it the shredded wheat phase. And then I call it the strawberry and creams phase, okay? The castor oil phase is, it's just hard to get started and it's hard to get it down. Several years ago, I did a whole series on suffering loss in your life. And I looked at one to two words primary, sorrow and grief. And it was hard to go through the whole Bible. Sorrow, how it relates to God, how it relates to other, how it relates to joy, how it relates to loneliness, how others react to us when we're in that. It was really hard to swallow. Then you come to the shredded wheat phase, which is just dry and crunchy, right? But then finally, you get to the strawberries and cream phrase where it is sweet and you have pulled the sugar and the sweetness out of it where it enhances your relationship with God and how he wants to work in your life in that way. Look at Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And then finally, you must actively live God's word. This is the reason to read it. Take a look at James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so you read it, not for historical information, but to do it. You come to God. I'm working with some CEOs. We, they're working with me, to be really honest. And, but we're starting a study on grace, just looking at grace through a Max Lucado study. And we're getting into God's word. And before we do, we start with a word of prayer. God, after we've kind of chewed the fat and gotten caught up a little bit. Okay, God, we're about ready to get into your word. Reveal yourself to us about this attribute. And so, as to do it, let me give you something. Will you write real fast? This is bonus. God, reveal to me space pets. Space pets. S, God, reveal, S, sin, if there's any sin in my life. God, reveal, P, a promise that you want me to claim. A, God, reveal an attitude that needs to be changed. God, C, reveal a command that needs to be obeyed. God, E, reveal an example that I need to follow. P, God, reveal a prayer that I need to pray. E, air, God, reveal an air that I need to avoid. T, truth, God, reveal a truth 
that I need to believe and ask God, reveal something that I need to praise you about. If you will go to God's word and take that little acrostic, space pets, I guarantee you this, you will discover something that God wants you to do. Now in these last few weeks, we have talked about God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit, and we have talked about the Bible. And I am sure you have a lot more questions. Guess what? So do I. I'm still learning today. But I want to close with two questions for you to ponder on. Is God's romance novel helping you to get to know God better? It will. If you will come up with a plan and study it, you will get to know God better. Is God's romance novel helping you learn how to live a better life because it's about life development? It will if you come up with a plan and to read it and study it. God's word, accepted by faith, reasonable faith, will help you to know him better. And it will change your life. Let's pray. Lord, I just really thank you. For your grace to give us what we don't really deserve. And that is revelation about who you are and the passions that you have for us and how you want to be known and how you want us to know that you love us and that you care for us and that you have good and great plans for our life. And God, I thank you that you and your grace have given us your romance novel that we call the Bible. And we thank you that you have opened up our eyes that we might see who you are through your son, Jesus Christ, that helps us to be spiritually connected to you in a way that is fulfilling and brings fruit in our life. And as we continue to move down this road of faith this year, God, may our faith grow as we spend time with you in your word, reading it, meditating on it, memorizing it, studying it, and applying it to our life. God, we ask you to do that. Lead us and guide us. In your son's precious name we pray.